Thank you, Kathy. We are uh, going to look at several chapters in Exodus tonight as we look in freedom in God. And our text for reading is going to be Exodus 5, verses 1 through 4. It was a tough time for God's people. They were in slavery. And it seemed as if God was nowhere to be found. There were tears. There was pain. There was despair. And uh, where's God? And then God raised up Moses, who had grown up in the palace, and, and then he had ended up through circumstances on the backside of the desert as a shepherd, and God called him forth, and he said, I've heard the cries of the people, and I'm sending you to set them free. I'm sending you on their behalf. And, and we're going to look at freedom in God and, and how God still, that's his heartbeat, is to free people. Free people who need to know that he loves them. So let's look in Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 through 4 is our scripture reading. And I'm ask when you're able to locate that, if you will stand in God's honor as I read from the scriptures. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. Or he may strike us with plagues or with a sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Let's pray. Father, this feeling of being trapped and not having hope. You came to set your people free. You did that back in these days, Lord. And you still are in that business. You hear our hearts, God. You hear our hurts. And you want to change that. Lord, you want to... Father, you want to introduce us to yourself. And I just pray tonight as we take some time and look at this account and Egypt, Father, and how you work through your servants. Uh, Father, may we be reminded that you're still in that business of bringing real freedom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to do something a little bit different. I had asked Greg, I found this is a four-minute clip from that 19, I think, 56 movie, The Ten Commandments. Charlton Heston, Yul Brenner, and just want to show like a four-minute clip of where Moses and Aaron approach Pharaoh uh, with a message from God. So let, let's start with that before we get the message. What gifts do you bring? We bring you the word of God. What is this word? Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go. The slaves are mine, 
Their lives are mine. All that they own is mine. I do not know your God, nor will I let Israel go. Who are you to make their lives bitter in hard bondage? Man shall be ruled by law, not by the will of other men. <laughs> Who is this God that I should let your people go? Aaron, cast down my staff before Pharaoh, that he may see the power of God. In this you shall know that the Lord is God. Nothing of his will harm you, my son. The power of your god is a cheap magician's trick. Janus. Swallows up the others. You gave me this staff to rule over scorpions and serpents, but God made it a rod to rule over kings. Hear his word, Ramses, and obey. Obey? Moses, Moses. Are there no magicians in Egypt that you have come back to make serpents out of sticks or cause rabbits to appear? <laughs> I will give your staff a greater wonder to perform. Bear it before your idle people and bid them make bricks without straw. How can people make bricks without straw? Let his staff provide them with it. <laughs> or let them glean straw in the fields for themselves. Okay, Greg, that's probably it. I forgot, I think I forgot to send Greg when to, when to stop. But uh might go on for a while. Of course, this is one depiction, uh, Hollywood 1956 did of this account. And this is just before the ten plagues. That God sent in order to get Pharaoh's attention that he meant business. And it's uh, interesting as we look at that, he starts out. You know, you hear Charlton Heston, let my people go. You know, but is that really the full scriptures? Is that really the full message that God sent through his servant Moses? Well, turn me Exodus, I'll turn over to chapter 6. Twenty-nine. 
Scripture says, He said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, Since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? You see, it was more um, there was more message than just let my people go. God wanted to speak to Pharaoh. He wanted to make it clear that there was a king greater than the one who called himself God and the king of Egypt. And that was the Lord God. And it was more of being set free. Matter of fact, there's a message that you see over and over again here in the scriptures. And the message is, let my people go so that they may worship me. Uh, You find it, Exodus 7, verse 16, Exodus 8, verse 1, Exodus 8, verse 20, Exodus 9, verse 1, Exodus 9, verse 13, Exodus 10, verse 3, and then culminating in Exodus 10, 24 through 26, seven times that Moses would appear before Pharaoh with a message of let my people free, but there was a reason. The reason was so that they may worship God. You see, God sets us free, but that freedom is is not just so we can be disconnected from God. There's a reason. He sets us free not just from sin. He sets us free so that we can have the life that he wants us to have. A life that's full and, and a life that reflects him. And that enables us to have that relationship with him that we were made for, that we so desperately need. That, that, that's, that's what God's up to. That's his work. Um, I think of Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It says, for it's by grace you've been saved. That's something we don't deserve, something that he provides. Through faith. And that comes when we just hang on and say, Lord, I'm just going to place my confidence and my trust and my belief in you. And this not of yourselves. It's not something that I can do. It's it's not a matter of how, how good I perform. You know, what a good citizen I am or what a good Christian I am or how faithful I am to to do the church stuff. That's not what God's up to. He says it's not of yourselves. Why? Because if it was, we'd just be bragging about it. And we get to heaven, it won't be a time to brag about what we did here. It's not of us. It's God. He's the one. And, And then... It's that grace that we don't deserve. That, that's what gives us that hope. And that's what allows us to have a changed life. Is when Jesus Christ through his power. Enters us and brings forgiveness. And that is what enables us to be set free from sin. But we're not just set free from sin. But that verse 10 of Ephesians 2. 10 says for we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. So we were set free from sin, but we were set free for righteousness. Or to live a life that counts. Live a life for what lasts forever. And then then that's God and the work that he does. Um, When he sets us free from sin, you know, I, I thought it was interesting of course, we saw the snake. And, and as you look in Exodus, the book of Exodus, um, there is that account that's just before the plagues begin when God is speaking through Moses and uh, Aaron's right beside him when that account takes place. And there's this serpent that gets swallowed up. 
these two serpents get swallowed up by the serpent that uh, come from Moses' rod. You remember that? And in the scriptures, one of the names for the devil, our enemy, our adversary, is a serpent. Uh, it tells us in Revelation 12, verse 9, the ancient one, the serpent. And he is the one who will be defeated. But for now, he's causing a lot of havoc. He is causing a lot of trouble. And God has come in order to, to set us free from that sin and from that control um, that he uh, seems to have in our lives. And Jesus has ultimately done that. Turn with me to John chapter 8. I look at the section of Scripture, eight, uh, beginning at 31, where Jesus is talking, and he basically shares this important fact that he's come to set us free, John 8. He says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they go on and said, well, we're not, we've never been slaves of anyone. Why do we need to be set free? And Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So that's the problem. That's the issue is we all have this problem where we mess up, where we sin. None of us are able to be what we should be. That's what God says. So we're a slave to that. We need to be set free out of that bondage. Just as the Hebrews, they needed to be set free by God, and God sent his man Moses to carry that message. We need to be set free too, because we're in a type of slavery. And Jesus said that that slavery is sin. It's that sinful nature. It's those desires. We know we shouldn't do it, but we're so drawn to do it. And we're trapped by it. And we find ourselves ensnared where we don't want to be. He goes on. Jesus goes on in these sections of Scripture. He says, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family but a son belongs to it forever. So he's talking about uh, being adopted into a family where there is a change. We're basically saying being set free from that old way of life, that old slavery of sin. And so he says, so if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You see, it is... Uh, it's not enough just for people to meet together and to talk about how we can improve how nice we are to each other, or how we can improve our commitment to the community, or how we can improve our lives. Because what we need is more than a self-help course. What we need is more, as has been said, than resuscitation or to be awakened. We need to be resurrected. We need the very power of God to enter our lives so that we can find the freedom that he wants to provide. Because it doesn't come from us. We need God. We need God. We, we need God to free us. And uh, we live in a day, and uh, I read about one church in uh, Oregon. 
It's a, it's a huge church. And here are the words of the pastor that was on the local TV show there. Um, he said, churches today talk too much about sin. We, we, need to, we need to get rid of terms like sin and guilt and shame. I would say we need the opposite. We don't need to get rid of the terms sin and guilt and shame. We need to be honest about them. And we need to turn to God to find the freedom that he wants to give us. Because it's it's not enough to be good. We must receive his goodness. That, 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 that's what the gospel's about. That's what that work is about. It, it's not enough just to be helpful. We need to be helped by God. You see, he came to free us from our sins. He came to free you from your sins. He came to free me from our sins. He came to free all of us. That's what the message is about, that he's come to free us. And he frees us. Why? So we can be his workmanship, which means so we can worship him. I mean, he's the only one that knows how to help us. Because we don't, we don't even, we don't even know what we need. And so we need him. And, and that's what's so important about the scriptures and so important about prayer and so important about being among other believers that God is able to reveal himself to us and he's able to give us direction because without it, we just tend to get in trouble. We, we, we tend to take the wrong steps, we take the wrong roads and, and, and we need God to direct us so that we can find our way. In 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20, it says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. God sent Moses with this message where God says, I'm going to set my people free. And they ended up walking through a dry seabed and the waters came back and they ended up drowning the Egyptian army who were in a hot pursuit of God's people as there was this miracle and they were able to march to safety and they were set free. And, and that was God's work. And, and now he, his plan to set us free from that slavery is uh, he came himself and he took upon himself um, as the Bible says, what we deserve. And that's what, you know, we hear the stories of the gospel and Jesus dying on a cross and Jesus suffering. And, and that's what is so amazing is he's the only one who didn't deserve to suffer because he's the only one who didn't sin. And yet he's the one who took that for us. Uh, you know, what an amazing truth. Anyways, we get back in the book of Exodus so here come the plagues. God's trying to get Moses' attention. Uh, I mean, Pharaoh's attention through Moses. Uh, in chapter 7, what we saw up here, uh, the scripture gives us uh, that insight from, from which uh, we saw that scene. Then comes the plague of blood. Where suddenly the Nile turns into blood and he's trying to get Pharaoh's attention, but Pharaoh's heart's hardened. Then comes a plague of frogs where there are frogs everywhere, still can't get his attention. Then there's a plague of gnats where there are gnats everywhere. And then there's a plague of flies. And in chapter 8 of Exodus, Pharaoh, he's trying to negotiate with Moses. He sees there's trouble because these plagues, he wants to get rid of these plagues. 
And so he thinks, well, maybe if I give him part of what he wants, then these plagues will stop. And and so anyway, he soon learns that uh, you can't really negotiate with Moses. And and and, and so the, he comes back and he says to him, okay, let's see here. In 8.25, he says, um, he starts talking about uh Pharaoh comes and he says, go sacrifice to your God here in the land. But Moses said, that that would not be right. The sacrifices we offer to the Lord our God would be detestable to the Egyptians. And if we offer sacrifices that are detestable in their eyes, will they not stone us? So remember back in our original text in Exodus 5, 1 through 4, he says, we need to go three days away. And, and it's there that we need to worship the Lord and he said, no. He said, you guys need to stay close. I don't want you going far away. But he can't negotiate there, so then he tries again. He comes back in verse 28 and tries some more negotiation. Pharaoh said, I'll let you go to offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the desert, but you must not go very far. Now pray for me. All right, you can go. At first I won't let you go. You can go, but don't go far and pray for me. In other words, get rid of these flies. They're driving me nuts. And these plagues. And it says here, read down here through chapter 8, that Moses prays, the flies disappear. But it says in the end of chapter 8, but this time also Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not let the people go. Then we come to more plagues, plague of boils, plague of livestock, plague of hell, plague of locusts. All this to get God's attention. And each time his heart was hardened, each time he didn't listen, he didn't want to let the people go. And then we come to 10, and we drop all the way down to 24. And So Pharaoh's finally ready to get a meeting with Moses and Aaron. He summons them. He says, go worship the Lord. Even your women and children may go with you. Only leave behind your flocks and herds. So he's been saying, first he says, you can't go. He says, you can go, but you can't go very far. You've got to stay close so we can keep an eye on you. And then he says, okay, you can go. And you can take your wives and your children, but you've got to leave your livestock and herds. Still not listening to God. Still not uh, moving ahead. In other words, he's saying, well, I'll let you go and you can all go together. But don't get too serious about this stuff. You don't, you don't need to take sacrifices. You can, go, you can go to that place and you can worship, but, but don't take your herds with you. Don't, don't take a sacrifice to God. And doesn't the devil speak the way? Well, you can go to church. You can sit there for an hour. But man, don't let it impact what happens when you leave the place. Don't don't let it don't let it impact your thoughts. Don't let it impact the people you spend time with. Don't let it impact your mission for life. Don't get so serious. Don't be a, a nut about it. Don't don't be, you know, that, that term we use in youth week that a Jesus freak. But God said, that's not enough. I want my people to go and I want them to come with a sacrifice. And they're coming for a specific purpose. And this is from Luke 9, 23. Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. He said, man, this is a way of life. This isn't just a little compartment of life where you spend an hour or two a week and you walk away and forget about it. Jesus says, I want to be your life. Listen to this. This is a, a 
A quote from Bishop J.C. Ryle, who was the first bishop of Liverpool, England. Um, here's what he wrote. Zeal is a burning desire to please God, to do His will, to advance His glory in the world in every possible way. A zealous man is preeminently a man of one thing. He is more than earnest, hearty, uncompromising, wholehearted, and fervent spirit. He sees only one thing, cares about one thing, lives for one thing, swallowed up in one thing, and that one thing is to please God. Whether he lives or dies, has health or has sickness, whether he's rich or poor, pleases people or gives offense, whether he's thought wise or thought foolish, whether he gets blame or praise, whether he receives honor or is given shame, he burns for one thing, and that one thing is to please God. Such a one will always find a sphere for his zeal. If he cannot preach, he'll work and give money. He'll cry and sigh and pray. If he cannot fight in the valley with Joshua, he'll hold up the hands of Moses until the battle is won. Isn't that good? You see, he's talking about, he says, God says through Moses, set my people free, but there's a reason for that, so they can worship me. So they'll worship me. He sets us free from sin. But it's not just so we'll be free from Him. It's so that we'll be set free to Him. So that we can really function as God made us to function. And that's to worship Him. And that's to please Him. And and, and he, he set those people free in Egypt. He still does that today. He sets us free from sin. But He sets us free for righteousness. To please Him. And to live for His glory. Um, Alright. Last part here. As we look in the scripture here, back in Exodus chapter 5, just want to make note of, of something. Um, verse 3 says, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with a sword. I don't think it was an accident. That God had said, uh, let's take a three-day journey for this experience, this worship, this sacrifice. Matter of fact, think about it. I mean, how many times three days are significant in the scriptures? When you go back, uh, as we're looking at the story of Abraham, and I guess it won't be too long on Sunday mornings till we hit um, what may be a while, I guess, but where he's headed up to Mount Moriah with his son. And it's one of the most touching scenes in scripture, you know. His son's like, Dad, where's the sacrifice? And he says, God will provide the sacrifice, son. And of course, we know that he was tried as it looked like he was being asked to sacrifice his son. How long was the journey up to Mount Moriah for that to occur? Three days. That's what the scripture says, that it was a three-day journey. Um, Remember when Jonah was swallowed up by the whale? How long was he in that belly of that big fish? I say, well... I say, well, it says big fish, but we'll go with the well. Big fish, three days. As a matter of fact, uh, the scripture says, 1240 of Matthew, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the well's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Which is the next one. Jesus was in the grave for three days. And then there's one more with Joshua. Um they're getting ready to cross the Jordan River, which is significant as they were getting ready to enter the promised land. And 
Joshua told the people, uh, this is Joshua 1.11, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. See, isn't that? I think that's really interesting. That as, as God was, was talking, he said, we need three days to be able to go into the wilderness, to sacrifice to God and to worship God. That's God's calling. He, he's freeing us from slavery, but he's freeing us to worship. And we need three days to accomplish that. It was three days. It, it, it was three days where Jesus was in that grave and then he was resurrected. It was three days before they would cross over that river into the promised land. It is a picture of resurrection. It is a picture of life. It is a picture of being set free. And the simple fact of the matter is, it was a foreshadow of the fact those three days are just a picture of, or just around the corner of being set free. Man, that's what it's about. Jesus didn't stay in the grave. He's resurrected. And one day we'll cross that river and we'll be in eternity and we'll be with him for all of that time. That three days is that time now where we're, we're, we're living, but we'll know life. When, when that resurrection time comes and, and we face that resurrection time where he will set us free. That, that's the work of God. That's what he's about. And his freedom still comes. Um, it comes in a way that's Simple, but yet, in another sense, it costs us everything because we place our full confidence there that there's only one way, and that's through Jesus. You see, if there was any other way, God would have chosen another way. Why would his son that he loves, why would he die such a horrible death if there was another way? But there was only one sacrifice that was worthy. And that was his son. And so that's where the heart of our belief is. It's not in a philosophy. It's in a person. It's in Jesus. And that he was the only one who was perfect. And the only one who could die. And who would meet that need that God had for sin to be paid for. And we come to grips with that. It's so humbling. We come to grips with that. We see that he's the only one worthy. We see that we're not worthy. And, and that, that's tough. Because we come face to face with our own sin. And we have to be honest. And we have to say, I'm in trouble. I need to be forgiven. And there's only one way for that to happen. And, and that's Jesus. And so for that to happen, I have to confess, which means to agree with God. That unless Jesus enters my life and provides forgiveness, then I'm in trouble with God. My relationship with Him is broken. And that's what the gospel's about. And, you know, and, and that's what we rejoice here at church is every time so, that message comes alive in a person's heart and he says, God, you do love me. You do want to forgive me. And, and then a person says, okay, God. I want to receive the forgiveness you provided by sending your one and only son to die on an old rugged cross. But after three days, he rose from the grave and he provides new life because he is new life. And the picture of that is when we have a baptism. A person goes under the water and they said, man, it's not that old way of life as they're under the water. But as they come up, there's new life 
And it's that picture of death, the life of Jesus Christ, and, and, and trusting in that new life that he provides. And, and he sets us free. Um, I close before we have a time to, where we'll sing and respond to God if God's spoken to hearts and, and uh, a decision needs to be made to trust him in an altar that's open. But listen, this uh, old hymn says, I must needs go home by the way of the cross. There's no other way but this. I shall ne'er get sight of the gates of light if the way of the cross I miss. The way of the cross leads home. The way of the cross leads home. It is sweet to know as I onward go the way of the cross leads home. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the way of the cross that leads home. Father, you came with your servant Moses and Aaron and you had a staff which was representative of a shepherd. And it was also representative of the fact that your power was with Moses. And you say that Jesus is the good shepherd. That... He is the gate. He is the, the door. He, he is the one who leads the sheep. And your word says we're like sheep that have gone astray. And each of us has turned our own way. And we need to follow the good shepherd. And Father, that message um, is timeless. Because regardless of how old it is, we still need a savior. We still need a shepherd. Because we're still a mess. That hasn't changed. Father, help us to examine our hearts and to see where we are with that. Do we need to trust you in you? Do we need to find forgiveness and commit our lives to you, the living God, the one who loves us more than anybody else? And if we have done that, do we need to come back and follow you? Have we come straight away like a lost sheep that's gotten away from the flock? And Father, I just uh, just speak to our hearts, Father. You want us to be free. You want us to be free from sin, but you also want us to be free for righteousness. And so, Lord, I just ask you to do a work among us because it's you that does that work, not us. So have your way. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.